0: Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa.
1: for our top story. It's more on the Disney-Fox merger. On top of that, we have another update on Spielberg versus Netflix. And then Ben Affleck, he's got a brand new directing project. We're going to tell you all about it on this brand new episode of Collider Movie Talk, which is also kind of a Collider FYC reunion right here. Because I'm at the table with the one and only Scott Mance. Yes,
2: I'm
3: so happy to be back. With Jeff Snyder. It's me,
2: $40 richer.
3: Get this award.
2: Fourth season started.
3: <laughs> Collider FYC is back now. Just joke.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I wish there was reason to bring FYC talk into this, but we're not quite there yet. We've got a ways to go. We also have a very big story to hit right off the top here. And thankfully, we have the man at this table right here that wrote this story up for Collider.com. It's all about the Disney Fox merger again, but more specifically this time around, it's about certain projects that were brought over to Disney from Fox that now Disney is re assessing, and in some cases, axing. So, you want to run us through it, Jeff? Take
2: sure. It, Jeff. I mean, I think that the big question when the Disney-Fox merger sort of happened, aside from all the jobs that were going to be lost, Nick Mundy, <laughs> um, <laughs> is about which projects uh, are going to, you know, basically make the trek over from Fox to Disney. We kind of have learned, we, we, we don't really know what they're going to be making yet, but we know what they're not going to be making, and it's four projects in particular, starting with Mouse Guard. Uh, I don't know if you guys talked about we this did. Late, late, we did. Late, yeah, late last week. I mean, West. Balls movie, it just seems like it was too expensive. $170 million dollars for something that maybe wasn't supposed to start a franchise, or they didn't have those kind of hopes for it. Idris Elba was the biggest name in the cast. That's, that's a lot of money to commit to a project like that. Um, I mean, were you surprised at all by that, Mance? Oh, well, listen, n- none, none of these
3: movies, especially this one, I'm not surprised about any of them getting the axe from this like new regime. And I'm only so, I'm surprised it took this long after all those jobs were lost. But I, it's not like we're talking about a franchise that they are letting go. They're talking about a movie that wasn't. This wasn't even supposed to like start one, is what you said. Right. And it was an expensive movie, so I'm not
2: surprised by any of these movies that we're going to talk I about.
1: I think the way you go. just phrased it made me even more concerned for the big picture here.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, yes, Disney wants franchises. Uh, you know, that 170 million dollars that they could spend on Mouse Guard, and that's before advertising, marketing, all that stuff. Um, they're going to they're spend it on the next Cruella. Or, well, that one in you know, particular was
1: just above and beyond. Like, whether we were talking about the Disney Fox merger here or not, right. if any studio out there said, right. I was going to spend $170 million making a Mouse Guard movie, I'd say to that executive, You're not. Right. And ex- yeah, it's an expensive fired. proposition. <laughs> the other one, like,
2: you know, Disney has a long relationship with Tom Hanks. They, they kicked Tom Hanks to the curb with News of the World. That got set up at Universal. This project, uh, On the Come Up, uh, by the Hate You Give author, Angie Thomas, that uh, got, found a new home at Paramount. Good. The one project that hasn't found a new home yet, it, hasn't, it also hasn't been put into Turnaround yet, technically. But it's expected to be let go is Ted Melfi's Fruit Loops, which I was actually really looking forward to. That's the movie out of all these four that I, that I hope actually gets made somewhere. Um, and that's like a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest type a- thing with Woody is, Harrelson. Uh, Ted Melfi, who directed uh,
3: Hidden Figures, Yes, mm-hmm. and, he, and he also did Saint Vincent. So, so this is a filmmaker who's
2: on the rise and I who's mean, made money for Fox. You know, right, that's that, true. that's the other thing. Um, so, like that that was a little bit surprising. And, and you know, with, with like Mouse Guard, I think if anybody does. come come in to, 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 to rescue that film. There have been Netflix rumors. I actually think that the movie makes a little bit more sense for Apple, you know, trying to assert itself and, and do like a bit, you know, a, a big movie that appeals to, to families and to children. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that will ultimately get rescued. Fruit Loops is obviously a much cheaper proposition. and might make sense for an Amazon, an A24, whatever it may be.
1: I am hoping that someone picks that one up, because that one's had my eye for a while. And the other one that kind of bummed me out, even though it did wind up at Paramount, is On the Come Up because Angie Thomas's work is great and when you read what was the source uh, the source article on this was it a variety or THR report uh, hollywood, reporter, yeah. hollywood reporter when you read the section about why they might have yeah. let this go that is borderline devastating it's because the hate you give which didn't even cost that much to begin with lost didn't money. it lost money yeah. and i don't know again i don't want to sound like a naive idiot right now but there is something about the idea of strictly labeling hollywood a business and not caring about craft and art and meaning in the stories where if you completely separate the two and you take away all the validity of craft and strong storytelling, what is
3: going to be left in the end anyway? Perry, you are preaching to the choir. I mean, we cu- I couldn't agree with you more. I'm pretty sure Jeff feels the same way. But look what we're talking about. What was the whole reason that Disney bought Fox to begin with? Because of streaming, because of having all of those IPs, like Die Hard, like Planet of the Apes, like well, uh, definitely X Men and Deadpool, and uh, even Fantastic Four. But you know, Disney has the the shows that they greenlit for Disney Plus. They are like every freaking Marvel superhero that didn't have his own standalone film or her own standalone film has a show, uh, and Star Wars has a new show. I mean, there no, I haven't seen Disney. Green light anything that is what you're talking about. It's all franchise stuff. That is the
1: most disturbing thing of this entire story to me is that, you know, we've been chipping away at that conversation for a while. That when you take one major studio out of the mix, it's not like all those creative opportunities go over to the new studio. They just get pared down significantly. And I feel like this is the first taste we're getting of like a whole bunch of them just completely being knocked out of the equation. Yeah, and it's
2: not to say that Disney isn't interested in making movies for a because they are, they you know they are trying to get uh, to do a deal, to do a deal with Clint Eastwood to direct the Ballad of Richard Jewell movie. You know that is not a franchise. There are no capes in that movie. Um, that is just an adult drama that I think sounds really really good. And hopefully, you know Clint will attach himself and Disney will pull the trigger on, on a green light. Uh, but yeah, you're right. For the most part, you know they're they're just focused on big swings. And so if you're not a movie that can gross a billion dollars for them, you know they're not interested in. in in singles and doubles over at disney so
1: what are your predictions right now when it comes to disney moving forward taking their big 10 pulls out of the equation where are those other films going to exist
3: well that's that's kind of a loaded question but you know so they didn't exactly shut down fox completely fox 2000 is going away but fox is still going to exist in some form or another so when you talk about r-rated movies You know, Disney doesn't release Mm R-rated movies. They don't, like, Deadpool... Three is not going to be a Disney movie. It's going to be a Fox movie. Uh, as for like what kind of Fox movie that is, we don't know yet. But I think that is where Disney is going to put its adult dramas. That is where it's going to put a movie like Hidden Figures. Uh, you know, a more R-rated version of Hidden Figures. Disney isn't going to release an R-rated uh, Oscar contender, but Fox will under the Disney banner. That's their that's their that's their sort of way of like you know sort of sneaking it out there and still owning it and still. Like maybe like having it win four Oscars like Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: Where is uh, West Side Story right now?
2: Uh, I mean that that is at Fox as well. So so that movie right.
1: is. At Fox, which is under Disney But even though it's on the Fox side Technically, there's still like no cigarette Smoking in that movie
2: Right, yeah, they're going back and forth And that, that'll be a clash of the industry titans Between Spielberg and Bob Iger, who's going to get their way Spielberg obviously wants to be true to the period During which, listen, a lot of young Everybody people were, were smoking cigarettes, exactly But uh, Disney has that no smoking policy They don't want to, to, to make you know Cigarette smoking look glamorized Up on the big screen with so many kids watching I don't know how many kids will turn out for West Side Story anyways But I, I understand the corporate policy <laughs> Behind it.
1: I understand the corporate policy. It's just there is there's so much kind of red tape being put up right before my eyes right now. It it's a little alarming. Not a little alarming. It's a lot alarming. Well, listen,
3: it, if you want to see, if you want to see like what you're talking about, you know, a studio that's taking chances that's 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 preserving the craft and the art of great movie making and taking risks and taking challenges. They may not be 170 million dollar chances, but you know what? A24. They are a sure thing. You know, you got to look to the indies. You got to look at Focus. And, and uh, you know, Fox Searchlight, even though they are under the Disney banner as well, they are still Fox Searchlight. They basically are, are being left alone. You know, this is the, the studio that won four best picture Oscars in a 10 year period. No other studio, no other label has that kind of track record in modern times. So you'll get what you want, Perry. It just might not be. From the new regime at Disney,
1: and probably also not to the same volume as we once had it before.
3: Not well, sure. You
2: got one less massive player than yep. you had a year ago. Yep. It's, and it's not just the production staffs. It's that you know uh, they, they also have their own publicity teams, marketing teams. Mm-hmm. You can only commit so many resources to so many movies at one time. Uh, and, and I think that right now, yeah, the Disney movies are probably getting a preference. Um, <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until like the big Fox titles come do you along, think, like
3: how Avatar. How much do you think that Disney spent on the marketing? Of Avenger a ton. I'm going to save two hundred million dollars. What, what yeah. was it
1: the other day that we were talking about? Like strictly their uh, the the promotion with uh, with product placement type stuff, not in the movie, yeah. but with the brands that they were aligning themselves with. I think I, I might be wrong, but I feel like the number was something like two hundred fifty million.
3: Damn. Yeah. Bingham. It's yep. <laughs> it's nuts.
1: But then one of the uh, one of the silver linings in a story like that is when the report explained what popular characters like the Avengers can do for certain brands out there, especially when you're talking about uh, an organization like Stand Up uh, to Cancer. That's a big deal and it could make a difference. So I do like this visual of, you know, everyone giving to everybody else a little bit. So I like when you use a brand like that for good. I'm glad you bring up Fox Searchlight also because we're gonna get back to them a little later in the show. Mm -hmm. Right now, we've gotta go back to the Spielberg Netflix feud because Mm -hmm. we got a little bit of an update on it. And apparently it's not a feud between Spielberg and Netflix at all. Last month, we reported that Spielberg was trying to block Netflix movies from Oscar consideration unless they had substantial theatrical runs. Turns out, there was a lot more to the situation than was reported at that time, and in a story today from the New York Times, it looks like Spielberg was actually not trying to propose a rule change, but instead, he would probably support a rule change if it were proposed. So it wasn't going to come from him specifically. Spielberg's goal isn't about denying Oscars to Netflix. His attention is strictly on preserving the theatrical experience. I'll read two quotes for you guys right now. This one came from the New York Times article. His primary beef is not with Netflix, according to the people close to him. Rather, he is frustrated that exhibitors have been unwilling to compromise. The multiplex chains have fought off any effort to shorten the exclusive period they get to play films of any genre, which is currently about 90 days. In January, after Roma was nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, Mr. Spielberg even called AMC and Regal, the largest theater companies, and implored them to play the Netflix film even... Even though it was already available online, they refused. He goes on to say, this quote comes directly from Spielberg himself. I want people to find their entertainment in any form or fashion that suits them. Big screen, small screen, what really matters to me is a great story, and everyone should have access to great stories. All right, Mance, let's kick this off with you. Is this is this damage control, or is this kind of misreporting from the start?
3: Absolutely damage control. Absolutely it's damage control, because if this if this was part of the plan from the beginning, I they would have said this a whole lot sooner. Why did they wait this long for him to say, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to to stifle them and keep them out of the game. I just want people to keep going to the movies. It took them this long to spin it in that way. I agree with the spin. Yes, you know, listen, everybody is streaming and everybody's gonna keep streaming. People are gonna keep cutting the cord. But people, I think, I think, just based on the fact that 2018 was a record breaking year at the box office at a time when you Had Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, you know, that could change when we get Disney Plus and then Apple Plus and then Warner Media. But do I think that this is a spin? Absolutely it is. It's a good spin, one that I agree with. But in the end Netflix, nothing was changed, at at least not in the bigger categories.
1: Mm -hmm. I think I'm right there with you on this topic, because after I read this piece, I purposely went back and I started to look at our other other coverage of this little feud here, and I started to reread all those quotes with this idea in mind, and it does not come through whatsoever. But one way or the other, even if it is damage control... What's the big deal? This is one of those things that as long as they're course-correcting now and it's going to serve everybody well in the future, fine, at least that happened.
2: I mean... It seems like a total reversal from where Spielberg was at like a month or two I ago. I that. It, it, but, but that said, like, it's damage control for damage that he didn't necessarily do. Because I, I do think that something, you know, it was like a game of telephone where something got lost in translation. And the things that the media was ascribing to Spielberg was not stuff that he necessarily said. That's um, true, too. But, yeah, the whole, like, no, 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 I was really mad at theater owners. Like, what? Yeah, that that yeah. was not where I thought
3: like, Spielberg was at all. Like like initially when the story first broke after the Oscars. Like initially the the whole that that story was that Spielberg was sort of like raising a red flag to Netflix and to the Academy by saying, "You know what? I think we need to like set some rules in place." Not not that Netflix shouldn't be allowed to have a movie you know eligible for best picture or, or other Oscars, but that they should they should play more by the same rules and guidelines that everybody else is doing and but they are but, that's but what no, we get wait a minute wait a minute by the spin on that, like, uh, people were attacking Spielberg because he was saying, you know, people started to say, yeah, well, you know what? I didn't see ET in the theaters. I saw ET on home video. That's where I saw ET for the first time. Or I saw Jurassic Park on cable, and I did not see Jurassic Park on uh, in, in the theaters when it came out. And you know what? There are generations of people who discovered Jaws and Close Encounters on some form of home entertainment. But originally they were released in theaters. That's the point that Spielberg was trying to make back then. So
2: the spin that's happening now, it's like what? <laughs> I, I don't like I don't understand the, the, like Roma hit theaters three weeks, right, before it was available on Netflix.
3: But it was different because Netflix rented the theaters. It did not... The exhibitors didn't rent Roma from Netflix. Netflix bought out the theaters for three weeks and played right, because Roma. They, because because and the, that's theater, why, the major
2: theaters will not run Netflix movies just on principle. But that's also why is. that's mm-hmm. also
3: why you didn't get box office figures from Netflix on how Roma played in those theaters. Uh,
2: the current rule, though, I, I believe, calls for a day... It can go day and date. You, like You can open yeah. a movie in theaters and in streaming the same day, and it's still eligible. As long as, long as long it, as it plays, doesn't go to
3: streaming first. As long as it plays for a week in an L.A. County theater, it
2: is eligible for the Oscars. And it can go day and date. Right, so, so what does Spielberg want from the, from the theater owners? He wants to see the 90-day, the typical 90-day window shrunk to what? Well, like, like, it's still vague. And it's,
1: it's still very vague. It yes. seems to me like maybe he wants it shortened so they could have a more substantial theatrical run, but another element that he's not even addressing here, and it's something that was brought up really well in the dot-com article, is it isn't necessarily even just about the preference of, like, you know, sitting on your butt at home watching a movie instead of having the theatrical experience. It's also about what the theatrical experience has become, which mm-hmm. is incredibly expensive. So part of my big problem Mm -hmm. with whether or not this is what he meant from the start, how everything was expressed up until that point, is that Spielberg's mentality the way it was expressed completely limits the ability for people out there to see more stories that's the problem because one they're so expensive and two can you blame people to choose to stay at home in the quiet of their own home where they can make their own decisions as far as projection, sound all of that nobody around them is touching a cell phone it's it's a major major problem that is so far beyond this one teeny tiny little detail no matter where he shifts his focus Uh,
3: also also Perry, you know you're talking about look you're talking about different kinds of movies here uh yes people like to be home with their families they if families have a big enough tv and and these days a lot of them do with the great sound system and they have everything hooked up they have the smart tv and they have all the different streaming services playing through them and they want to watch a movie like green book you know what as much as i love green book If I watched that at home, I would have loved it just as much because, you know, there's really nothing about the film that I felt like I would have gotten more out of by seeing on the big screen, other than the shared experience, sitting in the dark, having the popcorn, the big, huge, massive theater screen. Whereas a movie like, obviously, you know, everyone's talking about Avengers, I could not imagine seeing Avengers Endgame on the big screen and having it be as good because of the kind of movie that that is.
1: I 100% see your point and I don't want this to sound as accusatory as it's going to but it's like I don't mean this directed at you, but it's the only phrasing I can think of. Like, Who are you to tell somebody out there who is deciding how to spend their hard-earned dollars what they need to see, what they can only see on the big screen because versus if you're talking, streaming?
3: Because, and, and I, I don't take that personally. Yeah, yeah, I at hope you know time, how I was trying to get no, to that no, point. Listen, that's why people have options. I mean, that's why a lot of millennials watch movies on these things. But... The quality of a movie, the type of movie it is, you know, big spectacle action film, a big superhero movie like Avengers, you know, you're going to get the most out of that. The full experience of a movie like that you will get on the big screen. You will get more out of the movie on the big screen.
1: The way you're describing it is like a parting of this, and this is like my big fear in the future, is that simply because we're saying Avengers Endgame is a super expensive spectacle, belongs on the big screen. Green Book, not so much. You can stream it, and that's, that's... like the inevitable future in but, my mind at this point it's not
3: the future it's now you have a lot of film critics out there who go they say see it they say, skip it or they say stream it yeah. you know what i'm like i not saying green books I actually i love green book and you should see green book on a big screen because you it's know. just
1: problematic to me because there's some independent films out there that were designed to be shown on a big screen but and like, simply labeling well, it that movie, way is every movie, dangerous
3: every movie that was shot should be shown on the big screen. I mean, Roma, a lot of people don't realize this, but Roma was shot to be shown in theaters. It was not shot to be screened. It was not shot to be shown on TV. It was shot to be shown in theaters, and then Netflix, and then Cuaron worked out a deal with Netflix, and that turned into what it was. That movie was always meant to be shot and shown on the big screen. But, you know, like this movie with Elizabeth Moss, her smell, I love that movie a lot. She gives a tour de force performance in this movie. Uh, it's a little cliche, but the point is, you know what, I would have watched a movie like that at home. I probably would have liked it as much as I did
2: seeing it on the to, screen. To me, this whole thing just reeks of, of Spielberg coming at things from a place of privilege because he's one of maybe two or three filmmakers who are guaranteed a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Like That's, Nolan could could make anything, uh, right? Exactly. Chris Nolan was the other one that I was thinking of. Could make anything really, and he's going to get a theatrical uh, release. Um, and, and not all filmmakers have that, you know, luxury. But look at look at Scorsese, who was Spielberg's, you know, contemporary. Buddy from the yeah. new Hollywood era. He's He's embraced it. He's always yeah, em- he em- embraced those things, though. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Well, that's the thing. We're only going to have it all merged together if everybody is supporting and doing And, like, I'm not just saying, oh, Spielberg needs to cave. I do think we're going to hit a point where the theaters, the distributors, and the exhibitors need to change their tune a little so that the whole community, the whole industry can evolve together. Because, I mean, again, going back to what you both just said, him coming from a place of privilege, that also applies to, let's say, a gigantic studio like Disney. They can come at things like this from a place of privilege because they have all the resources in the world to get their big shiny spectacles on the big screen and by putting all of the balls in their court we are going to completely block out independent films in the theater. I, I just
2: love how, how he, like you can tell that this rankled Spielberg though because he had private conversations with Jeffrey Katzenberg and then Jeffrey Katzenberg turned around and, and, t- and talked to the media. Like Katzenberg would not just tell the media his private conversations with Spielberg unless Steven encouraged it. Then there's this New York Times uh, article where Steven. More than happy to offer a mm-hmm. quote. Like, he's definitely trying to adjust the narrative. What were you going to say, Scott? No, I was just going to say, of all the conversations that, you, that the
3: three of us have had over the last year when we were doing Collider FYC, I mean, clearly, yeah, my heart belongs to seeing a movie in the theater. Uh, the big screen is the way to go. I mean, think about it this way growing up through the years.
1: It, I, yeah, wait, yeah. I don't know if I can agree with that well, anymore no, no, either. Just, no, listen, Come, we're listening. Let, yeah, let yeah. me finish
3: my point. Um, th- growing up through the years, have you ever had a memory of seeing a movie? Oh, my God, I'll never forget when I watched that movie at home. No, you haven't. That's Your not true. Memories, yeah. No, my memories, my biggest memories, the movies that I cherish the moments that I cherish, the memories that I cherish when it comes to movies are movies where I'd seen, what theater I saw them in, who I saw them with, where I was in my life when I saw them on the big screen. Ultimately, I am all for completely 100% preserving the cinematic experience on the big screen, the shared experience in the dark with the popcorn, with the sound system, with the massive screen. Uh, You know, that's the way to go. Move the big screen, movie theaters are where it's at. But at the same time, not everyone has that option. Some people out of financial necessity can't Always see movies on the big screen So that's when I say, okay, well if you're going to go To that level, then yeah I would still say, uh, you, so trust me Seeing a movie, this movie on the big screen Absolutely worth it, but if you, if you Can't, and you have the option For streaming it or watching it at home, then do that
1: Wait a period of time It's like sitting at this table, yes, I can say I have more memories seeing a movie on the big screen sure. But it's because I didn't have access To streaming services when I was a kid growing up right. And at this point, I'm starting to make Those memories at home but, but, with Think my family. Think how many
2: movies we watched as kids, Perry. Movies from the 70s, the 80s, the early 90s that maybe we were too young to see in theaters, where we watched them when we got home from middle school or mm-hmm. high school and those, I remember you know, yeah, those so experiences I. Well, too. Well, listen, listen I, I, I remember when, it's I, it's when called VHS. I saw it's when I VHS, I and the same
3: thing. When I saw Godfather, the, the original Godfather for the first time, I didn't see that in the theater. I mean, I was, I was alive, but I was too young. Um, so you watched it I watched it at home, or, or but whatever I don't remember I, but I don't, but yeah. But I don't remember. I watched it on Laserdisc. Um, I love
1: how you're getting such a big kick out of yourself right now.
3: No, but but the point is is that with Always. Godfather, I watched it at home. I know I watched it at home, but I don't remember exactly when that was. I don't remember exactly when that was. 1974. Wait, 1974, hang on. 1972. I don't remember. <laughs> hang on. You're making fun of me, and that's okay. I don't remember the exact time when I saw, like I love the Beatles, but and I saw A Hard Day's Night for the first time at home. I don't remember them i've no around when but I don't remember the exact day. But I could tell you when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark on uh, June 13th, 1981. It was opening weekend. It wasn't opening day. It was opening weekend. I could tell you when and where and what day I saw the Empire Strikes this Back This is about in your theaters. own neuroses, not, yeah. this has
2: nothing to do with theaters or streaming. But, but this you, is you a, know, you're a savant. It, Scott. This conversation you're a savant. has turned
3: into that because my point is, I, in the end, you know whether it's all about spin or damage control or whatever, I do agree with Spielberg's latest sentiment about wanting to preserve the in- theater experience for a lot of reasons but I get there there are other options and sometimes with certain movies you got to make certain decisions
1: I firmly believe in both sides of it there was another quote that I'm not going to read for you right now where he talks about the importance of getting out of your house and having that shared experience I never want that to go away I don't either. but the more streaming is around the more you I value that different kind of experience too and one of the one of the ways that was described to me recently that really put in, into perspective why I appreciate that I think it was in my interview with with Amy Simons where she said that watching something on a streaming service almost has that same, that same sensation of like curling up with a good book. And yeah. that's, I think that's why I like watching things on my iPad. I, like I like having it right in my face. Like whether I'm like laying in bed and the whole room around me is black, something about like the whole world can melt away even when I'm watching it on a small device.
3: I, the only time I watch a movie on uh, my iPad, is if it's if it's a, a, a screening link for a film, um, I, I will I, I always ask the studios. Can you send me a DVD so I can watch it on my 60-inch TV I, instead of watching a link that has my, you know, my name embedded on the video? It's just not the same.
1: Thing. I'll trade you some DVDs for some screening links, then. Okay, that's, that's great. A, we're not going to do that. That's a generational
3: thing, too. You know? <laughs> All
1: right, we got to get moving to our last two stories of the day. But before we go there, I am going to remind you we're taking some live Twitter questions at the end of the show. Send them on in using the hashtag ColliderMovieTalk. No repeats, please, because if I spy something that's the same, I'm not going to pick it because I'm afraid we pick it before. Get it? all right. use that hashtag sentiment now. Two more stories to hit now, and this first one is about Ben Affleck, and specifically the next project he picked up as a director. We've got THR reporting that Ben Affleck has signed on to both direct and star in a movie called Ghost Army. The film is based on a true story and draws from the Rick Beyer and Elizabeth Sales book, The Ghost Army of World War II, which chronicles how a squadron of American soldiers used old-fashioned smoke and mirrors to to save lives. Mance, what make you of this story? Is this a good move for Affleck as a director?
3: I think this is the best move he could possibly do as a director, and here's why. His last movie, Live by Night, you know, that was a costume contest type of movie. It made $22 million worldwide. It was a bomb. It wasn't a very good film. The film he directed before that, Argo, was an Oscar-winning Best Picture that he should have also won the Oscar for directing, but he wasn't even nominated. One of the biggest snubs in recent Oscar history. Ghost Army sounds like a sort of return to sort of an epic kind of film where the stakes are very high. And given what the story is about, a sort of smoke-and-mirrors kind of story... It does have some interesting sort of similarities to Argo with that smoke and mirrors aspect of it as well. So I think this is a great move for, for Ben Affleck to do, to direct a movie that plays to his strengths, one that has uh, bigger stakes. And uh, he definitely, uh, this seems like it would be a great move for him.
2: Jeff, you into it? Not really. Uh, I'm mixed. I'm mixed. This is something I've been on for months. um, And yesterday, Universal decided it it was the day that we were all going to announce it. And so it was going to be us and and the trades writing this up at 2 o'clock. And, of course, I was at the Avengers screening with no access to my phone. So that's why Hollywood Reporter is reporting. Um, Yeah, it it feels a lot like Argo to me with, like, you know, war and deception. Exactly. And it also kind of... So that's a good comp. The bad comp is Monuments Men. Hmm. It kind of reminds me uh, of that.
4: Yeah. Um,
2: I don't. I just don't know if this is like a, just a development title for him, or if this is something that he actually is committed to doing at Universal. Like, if this, if they're actually going to green light this. Oh, it's it's just like a um, talks kind of I just, thing. Or? I mean, no, it's it's official. It's legit. I just don't. You know, studios announce these kinds of things all the time. Some of them get made. Some of them never see the light of day. I wouldn't be surprised if if this ha- you know fell into the latter. Um, <laughs> But... Yeah, I don't, like, I I, I don't love the logline. Yeah, a bunch of artists, you know, uh, doing using smoke and mirrors and, you know, the fake Hollywood production exactly, kind of thing exactly. to save lives. But yeah, it, it sounds like Argo too.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I can't say this got me super hyped when I started to read through it, but then again, I haven't read the book it's based on. Maybe there's some more detail in there that is really going to make it pop. I'm just happy to see Ben Affleck getting back in the director's chair, yeah. most of all. I did not like Live By Night. I not was neither. so Awful. excited for that movie, and I I was so me excited too. when they somehow let me into one of the earliest screenings in LA and then I sat there and it was one of those ones where everybody comes out after for a Q&A and I just remember like sinking deeper and deeper into my chair wanting yeah, to get out hard. of there. It was
2: hard. I, I have a funny like uh, story about seeing that movie. I saw it at a, in a conference room at Warner Brothers a conference room not a screening room around a big ta- uh, table it was, I'm the only one uh, in the room uh, I think that they thought that I was part of Mashable's marketing people so they let me see it early um, and then when I came back and told my editor and I was like, you know, I'm not under any embargo. Like, we could have the first review out of this movie. Yeah, Warner, Brothers, Warner Brothers got involved. No, oh no, no. They, 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 yeah, they wow. Nice. Well, it wasn't a good situation. Great job. Uh, I can't Michelle say Robertson put her foot down on that. Um, right. But yeah, I, I didn't care for it either. I am a fan of Affleck's other di- uh, directorial efforts, uh, particularly Gone Baby Gun. Mm-hmm. Gone um, Baby and yeah, Gone I, I would like to see him return to that potboiler crime movie kind of thing, but I get that he wants to spread his wings and do something else. It just doesn't seem like this project fits that bill.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to keep an eye on that one and we will give you all the updates as we get them. We've got another movie that's coming together and this one piques my interest for obvious reasons. According to Variety, Leonardo DiCaprio is in talks to lead the next film from Guillermo del Toro. Nightmare Alley is a new adaptation of the 1946 novel. The book was first adapted as a film in 1947 as a straight noir chronicling the rise and fall of a con man set against the backdrop of a second-rate carnival, but sources tell Collider that Del Toro's film is not a remake of that movie, but instead a new adaptation of the book. Plan is to start, start shooting this one in the fall, while Del Toro works to fill out the rest of his ensemble. Here, yeah, I'm, I'm really, yeah. really into this. I'm not going to run away with it with it too quickly though. Right now, Jeff, does this one do it for you more so than the Affleck project?
2: Yes, I, I would say so. I am definitely intrigued by this one. Th- this is something I had half this story. I told Steve Guillermo del Toro's playing this game with us about what's going to be next. Is it going to be Pinocchio? Is it going to mm-hmm. be another movie? I knew all along it was going to be Nightmare Alley. Um, oh, but sure. it's possible that, that maybe he didn't have the green light until he got Leo. That's sort of how Frosty countered that one. Uh, and that, and that's totally plausible. I, you know, Kim Morgan wrote this script. She's a former film critic. Don't you wish an A-list auteur would, would, would ask us to write a script with him, Scott? Um, (laughs) I've never seen the original uh, Nightmare Alley, but any time that you're booking Leonardo DiCaprio, it's a coup for your production. I I think that the idea of him working with Guillermo is really exciting. Apparently, he chose this project Mm -hmm. over new projects from Paul Thomas Anderson and Alejandro Iñárritu, who just won him the Oscar for The Revenant. Revenant. Maybe he was just like, shit, I I can't go through that again. No, I'll Uh, tell you what it was. So, yeah, tell me. I'll tell you what it was. So with the exception of Scorsese, who he's worked with what six times,
3: uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has has like a wish list. Okay, he has this list, this wish list of directors that he wants to work with, and he's checking off the boxes. And now it's Guillermo del Toro's turn. And, of course, it's after he won his Oscar for The Shape of Water. But Leonardo DiCaprio is very, very, very smart. He's very savvy. He is very, very picky about the movies he makes. But more importantly, the directors that he wants to make them with. And, of course, Scorsese, they've got this bromance thing going on, just like Scorsese had with De Niro. But, you know, you look at Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, uh, uh, Christopher Nolan, Ridley Scott, um, Bas even, you know, he, he's uh, Danny Boyle, of course James Cameron and I just think that Leonardo DiCaprio is a really smart guy he's a great actor, he's a great filmmaker he knows exactly what he's doing He, you know, maybe he always wanted to make a movie with, with, with Guillermo del Toro but now was the time, especially while Guillermo is so hot, picking his first big project after winning the directing Oscar for The Shape I will
2: say, having looked at Leo's filmography really quickly yes could stand to work with a female filmmaker. There you go. And Absolutely. He has only worked with one on literally his least seen movie, which is Total Eclipse. What female uh, female, female director should DiCaprio work I like with? This, I like this conversation. Cool. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, I mean, you know, everyone's answer for almost every female director thing is Bigelow, and, and I always get <laughs> Bigelow
1: all, or Patty. Jenkins. Right, I,
2: I get all upset. I'm like there are other female filmmakers besides Catherine Bigelow, but she is going to be my answer here because she is the best in my opinion, and he's the best in my opinion, and they should work together because that sounds awesome.
1: I'm going to go with Angela Robinson because she needs Ooh, to get more. Yeah. Work. I was such a big fan of Professor Marston, and that thing just was like a blip on the radar. And I I was so bummed to hear that. But with this project in particular, I'm never going to say no to anything Guillermo attaches himself to. I've never seen the original movie either. But I think I'm I'm more inclined at this point to maybe read the book because I did read a brief synopsis. And even from a synopsis alone, I could already picture that setting with Guillermo's style kind of like bathed over it. And even it's like I almost get like for Leo, like Shutter Island vibes. Like that kind of like sinister nature. And it just seems like a perfect pairing of what I know both. Both of them are capable mm-hmm. of. That's so nice. I'm eager to see this one now. All right. We are moving on to some plugs before we get to your live Twitter questions. Tomorrow on Collider, as always, you will get Collider Live in the morning. It is also a Jedi Council day. So tune in for that. <sighs> Movie talk right back here, 4 p.m. PT Live, for one more episode this week. Of course, it's Endgame weekend, so just know, late Thursday night, when the time is right, there will be a spoiler review on the channel for you. You do not have to watch it if you haven't seen it. In fact, you shouldn't click play. It will be branded spoilers all over the place, so you (laughs) have been warned, but it will be there if you're ready, and I hope you enjoy. All right, Twitter questions. Where should we start?
3: Start at Let's the top. go.
1: It's like not a top to bottom thing. I have a million tabs open. <laughs> uh, pick one, two, or three. Uh, three. Okay, three it is. Three is from Chris L. Guapo, who's asking, have you seen a movie yet that you feel certain will land on your top ten end of the year list?
3: Oh, that's easy. Avengers Endgame.
1: I had a feeling you would say that. Yep,
3: Avengers Endgame, especially after that tweet. Right there, Jeff Snyder? Uh, no, I, I just I love this movie, but with the exception of Avengers Endgame, because I think that's an easy pick. I mean it is an outstanding film. But the other the, the movie that I really, really, really loved, like I wanted to hug it. I wanted to sleep with the I want to sleep with the Blu-ray under my pillow. I love this movie so much, is The Mustang. I think you got the guy, right? Yeah. Uh, He's great. Uh,
1: Matthias uh, Matthias. Schoenerts. I Uh, always pronounce his last name wrong. That
3: movie... Was exquisite. It was beautiful. Matthias gave an Oscar worthy performance. He's great. Uh, Bruce Dern, great supporting turn. It was so deep and poignant and profound. It really, really got to me. It stayed with me for a very, very long time. The Mustang.
1: I'm surprised we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, I was like over the moon about it at uh, Sundance.
2: Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I think- know, which- I was a big fan of the Mustang as well. Um, you
1: have like an official list.
2: I do. I do. Uh, yeah, I'd probably just go with Wild Rose, uh, which I saw at Cinema. and was really impressed by Jesse Buckley, uh, who's soon to be seen in Chernobyl, which I absolutely loved as well.
1: Dying to watch that. Yeah. Uh,
2: So, yeah, I've been been grooving to the soundtrack, too, in my car. I don't listen to a lot of, like, country, western-type stuff, or country (laughs) music, I should say. Um, But, yeah, I loved it.
1: She's super talented. Um, What about you, Perry? I think I have to name more than one title right now. I, I still think my favorite of the year is Us. It's a movie that I'm You're just, obsessed. Yeah, yeah, I'm really obsessed, and I love... <laughs> it's not even just like trying to piece things together. I thoroughly enjoy the conversations that it sparked, so there's that one. Shazam has a, a very big place in my heart right now. I would be surprised if that got bumped. Britney Runs a Marathon.
3: You don't, finally, sign, finally, wait. you
1: don't sign up for the New York City Marathon and then bump that off of your top ten. Breaking
3: August. news: August twenty third in theaters. There everyone you go. needs to see it. Yeah. So that'll be uh, that'll be your uh, you'll be at the peak of your training by then, and that yeah. movie's going to come out, and you're going to be. I so hope inspired. I'm in like
1: a really good headspace at that point. Otherwise, everyone get nervous for me.
3: Well, the the other film, just you know, I was I was thinking back to Sundance too, but the film hasn't opened yet. But the other movie that I would definitely put on my top ten list uh, uh, that I feel really good about, about sort of uh, saving a spot for it actually is Late Night.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Uh, I just love the hell out of that movie. Emma Thompson as a, a sort of washed up late, late night talk show host. You know, the movie is uh, written by Mindy Kaling who also co-stars and the movie covers a lot of ground in terms of ageism, sexism, feminism, but doesn't beat you over the head with any of it. It is really funny and really smart and Emma Thompson should be nominated for an Academy Award. She's great. What about The Farewell? The Farewell was wonderful. I love the farewell. Oh my god, the farewell <laughs> is great. Oh my god, the farewell is off. Awesome.
1: I had a feeling that would be your <laughs> yeah, reaction. Awesome. All right, I think we got time for one more Twitter question here, and I'm going to go with this one from the Ace. What's a movie you cannot sit through a second time? Mine is The Green Inferno. Oh,
2: oh, great question, Jeff. You go. Uh, I got to think about this for a minute. Well, I'll, I'll... then I'll refer back to a tweet that I, I had to get with uh, Scott Uh-oh. Feinberg. Um, who who said that you know? Because were you asked to, to, to for uh, your five most rewatchable movies, your five favorite movies this decade? Has has anybody asked you about that? No, no, no. All right. Um, Scott Feinberg said "Blue Valentine," and I was, I was like, "Who re- goes back to like rewatch Blue Valentine, which is a great movie, right. But like not one that I could go back to, uh, right. so, so you are not going to through that again. It's like Schindler's List to me, but you yeah, you know, watch it, the-
3: you watch it once, you're not going to be like, Oh, I think I'm going to go watch the yeah, Schindler's
2: List.' Yeah. I can't go back to Schindler's List. I can't go back to Blue Valentine. Well, I, just I the think she means in terms of a bad movie, right? Is that is that is that where we're going? No, with this, I, like, no, not necessarily. That's not how I it. Yeah. A movie
3: that's just um, really a, a, a could be. I a mean, it could be
1: so bad that you would never watch it again I know I know my answer is Martyrs have either of you ever seen Martyrs I got major problems with that movie it's It's just an incredibly tough watch, and there's parts of that where I can just isolate great filmmaking, great performances. I think that subject matter and where it winds up is absolutely miserable. I felt like I was walking around like a zombie for days after watching it. I love me some horror, but i got to be able to shake it off quicker than I did
3: with that one. Uh, I'm just going to say just because it's a bad movie, I cannot sit through Hellboy. The remake of Hellboy is so bad. It is really, really, really bad. I, that movie kept, it was two hours long, and I felt like I was in I was in hell. <laughs> I felt like I was being I was I was damned <laughs> watching that movie. I mean, it's a bad film, but you know. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> oh, I
1: hate ending on like a bummer of a note. Was there any silver lining to Hellboy uh, at all? I'm
3: Trying to think of a movie that that. Uh, I loved, but just I, I just couldn't sit through it again. I need to think I think, you know, Shinwa's List is a good choice um, but, I mean I need to think more about that. That's a great question.
1: You take your time. We'll have you back on the show very very okay, cool. soon. <laughs> guys, we got to wrap this up. Thank you guys. My FYC team. Yay, I'm team so happy this happened. Hopefully we can get this formation back on the table real soon and until we wait for that to happen, why don't you just have some fun today? Use the hashtag ColliderFYC. Demand more. We want to come back with the second season thank you guys again for being here thanks to adam in the booth back there go adam, adam in the booth. yes to everyone out there i hope you enjoyed the show as always do not forget to like and share it tell everybody you know about us in podcast form as well super helpful if you comment and rate over there you know what have a great time diving into endgame but i'm gonna put out that warning one more time be kind. Don't spoil something for somebody else that you wouldn't want spoiled for yourself. Have a great night, guys. We'll see you tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT, live for a new episode.
0: Orangutans. They're beautiful, playful, and majestic, and disappearing. Every day, as many as 20 orangutans vanish. They starve to death when their homes are destroyed, or are killed when they stray into villages in search of food. International Animal Rescue is fighting for the survival of the critically endangered orangutan. But we can't do it without you. Please visit internationalanimalrescue.org and help us save orangutans before it's too late. That's internationalanimalrescue.org.